And it's not easy. I don't want it to sound like it's perfect. I cry, I break down. I have moments where I don't know how this is going to keep going. But this routine and this focus has kept me sane. <laughs> and I, I dare say it's made me proud. Welcome back to the Thriving Lawyers Podcast. Here's part two of our interview with Seagal Barnes. Enjoy. If you don't mind, talk about some of the challenges you've had and the choices you've had to make regarding quality of life and self-care. Yeah. I mean, even before this hit, once I had the babies, even before, when I was pregnant with my son, I got, I never know how to pronounce it, hypermesis gravidarum. And it's basically a very severe illness that you get while you're pregnant. And I was really sick for about five of the nine months of both of my pregnancies. So for about two years, I was really sick. And so I was sick and pregnant and trying to juggle a professional career and a marriage and all of these things. And I could not, for the life of me, figure out how to balance all of it. My brain was constantly in chaos and I didn't know how to be healthy. I gained a lot of weight and not really from, you know, just looking good, but just from a health perspective, it was really unhealthy um, from both the pregnancies. And so I was really struggling with that. And then the pandemic hit and not at all to take away from everything that's happening, that's hard, but something clicked for me positively when this happened, which was like, for the first time in my life, I had to start setting boundaries and I had to start prioritizing. Wow. And I I sat down and I said, okay, you got to do your job. It pays your bills and it's important to you. Your career is important. Your kids are home now. There's no daycare anymore. You have two babies. They need you and they need you to be present. You have your husband. You guys have to be not only in love, but you have to also be partners and you have to take on all of this. And he's also working full time and your health, because let's face it, it's been talked about a lot is I'm considered in my weight obese and I could either go more obese or I could start going on the path of health. And in addition to that, there is a virus that can kill you. And therefore you need to be healthy as as healthy as you can to protect yourself not only for yourself, but for your children and your family. And so I made a decision that those were going to be the things. It was going to be work. It was going to be health. It was going to be my children. And it was going to be my husband. And anything that didn't fall into that, I could not do anymore. And it just all neatly fell into these four categories. And I sat down with my husband and we planned it. This is what our schedules daily are going to look like. This is how we're going to support each other to make sure that I can get those goals. And, you know, he has his own goals that he wanted to meet. And I've been doing that very, very strictly ever since. And let me tell you something. This was years of not being able to put those boundaries down. Years wow. of feeling chaos in my mind. And now I am working out every single day. First way that I start my morning, I work as hard as I can and I support my team as hard as I can for half the day. And then I am fully present for my children while my husband works for the other half of the day. And then when those kids go to bed, my husband and I make sure that we spend time with each other for the rest of the night. And that is our schedule. And it's not easy. I don't want it to sound like it's perfect. I cry. I break down. I have moments where I don't know how this is going to keep going. But this routine and this focus has kept me sane. (laughs) And I I dare say it's made me proud of of how I'm prioritizing things in a way that I couldn't do before this. If you weren't on your laptop or something, I would ask you to just drop the mic and walk away. (laughs) (laughs) But I don't want you to crush your laptop, but I'm serious. That is so beautiful because it's not easy. And because because you're saying, well, I adopted this and then all was magic because it doesn't work that way. No change that's meaningful and it's hard is easy 
and a linear path upward and never was a bad day had again. It just doesn't work like that. You've got to have sort of the grit and commitment. And I love too, you know, the commitment that you and your husband doing this together, you know, because you need somebody to be there with you and remind you and say, hey, remember what we said? Remember why we're doing this? That is beautiful. I'm serious. And you said that it's not perfect also, that you're going to backslide. You and your husband are going to have to check back in with each other and acknowledge, oh man, I kind of fell back into an old pattern where I didn't say no and I should have said no to a certain request of my time, Mm -hmm. right? You know, I made some commitments, professional commitments before the pandemic hit to be part of planning committees and help out with other endeavors. And this focus, these boundary settings required me to walk away from those commitments. And I I think all lawyers feel the same way. We do not like looking bad, right? We don't like promising something and then moving back from that, right? No, walking things back is so hard for us. It's so hard for us, but I had to do it. And I think Michael really, when we were talking, reframed it in a nice way, which was just, it wasn't that I was walking away from my commitment. I was walking towards what what my priorities were. Um, And that is exactly what I would advise anyone that's like struggling with the same things that I am is that everything that you say yes to, you're saying no to something else. And everything you say no to allows you to say yes to something else. And so instead of beating ourselves up and having that kind of negative chatter in our brains of like all the terrible things of like walking away from something, it's kind of reframing that and reminding ourselves that it's because we're prioritizing or working towards things that are beneficial to ourselves. That's huge though, because you have to have that, that vision, that hope of what you're going towards. It's not just denial. It's not just sacrifice, letting go, giving up. Because if you focus only on that, it gets miserable. Mm -hmm. Um, But if you have that hope, that vision of this is what we think life can be like, this is what we want life to be like, that's a big deal. Yeah. And it's providing yourself the time to pause and really ask yourself those questions and think about those questions. And I know that it's very easy. I did it for years to say, well, I don't have time. I don't have time to sit down and think about that. I don't have time to do that. But it's everything. I mean, seriously, even if it's 20 minutes, it's more than nothing. And just to ask yourself, like, what are the most important things that I should be focusing on? And how do I make sure that that is where my energy goes? We all recognize physically that we have limited energy, right? Like you can work out and go on a bike or go on a treadmill and you can work out, but you know, after a while, like six, seven hours, you can't do that without breaking down, right? Like your body will break down. But people don't like actually always remember that that's the same is true for your brain. Like you can't just be on all the time. Like you can't take on all the things. Like your brain has limited energy. I feel like I'm talking in like like the least scientific terms, but you you get what my my meaning is just at the end of the day, like you have to be able to focus on your priorities and you have to limit the amount of time and what you're spending on. So Well, and I'm the latest. Yeah, I feel like I'm late to the party in discovering that. I mean, I have, I get it. It's the hard part for me is when it's something that's fun. Like Michael and I, love the presentations we do. We love what we do. We enjoy them. And we almost Mm -hmm. have to remind ourselves afterwards, oh yeah, we're tired, right? (laughs) You know, we're going to crash. We've done it long enough. We know, but when it's fun and it's enjoyable, there's part of me that's like, oh, give me more. Yeah. Give me the next thing. But my brain doesn't function that way. I I hate it though, because my brain also forgets that it doesn't function that way. If I don't Mm -hmm. do something purposeful, if I don't create new habits or new ways to remind it, does that make sense? 100%. Yeah. Yeah. Even the fun stuff needs to be limited, right? I mean, you want to do fun stuff, you should do fun stuff. But yeah, I mean, it still all contributes to like the bandwidth. Yeah. 
used an important word, pause. That's something that we have a hard time doing, but, but integrating pauses into our days to just check in, okay, is this what I want to be doing right now? Or how am I feeling right now? Do I need to take a break? Just building in pauses into your day can be really critical because we know how fast time goes. And before we know it, and, and I can speak just personally, I'm just turned 60. And man, it's crazy to think about how, how the years have gone by. And I actually, a little bit, a couple of days after my 60th, I, I uh, dealt with some, some serious grief that I came, was unexpected. Mm. Um, because I, I usually celebrate my birthdays and for a week or two because I love doing it, love celebrating getting older. But yeah. it was hard. And I've dedicated myself to now saying, okay, what are the next X years going to look like? Yeah. Um, because they're going to go by fast. And I don't want to look back when I turn 70 and, and not been intentional about those years. This is interesting and encouraging because what have some of our podcasts been on and what have you been doing workshops on lately? You're the guy who helps people mm -hmm. think about grief, talk about grief. And yet that doesn't mean you're doing it because you're immune or because, oh, grief, I know what to do. Here I go. It just sort of, I like the way you described it, it sort of hits you like, mm -hmm. like a wave that's regular. That's the kind of thing that, that, again, we need to be talking about and acknowledging and, and when leaving space for. I have not been good at that, but it's necessary and it's helpful. I hope it's helpful to the people out there in listener land, if we have any, to know that, that you know you don't reach this plateau of, I am a fully formed human and therefore nothing phases me or I don't have to face challenges. Quite the opposite. Uh, agreed. And I think the other piece of that is really allowing yourself to grieve without guilt. I think one of the things that I kind of on and off struggled with is this idea of like gratefulness. So I'm, I'm so grateful. Like my kids are healthy. My husband is healthy. I have a house. I have a backyard. I'm able to go outside. Luckily, no one close to me has died. And so I need to be grateful. And anytime that I feel sad or I feel grief over things that I don't have that I wanted or, or a future that I thought was going to be is like no longer like really possible in the near future. I like quickly, I'm like, no, you should be grateful. You should be grateful. And it's okay to feel grief and still be grateful at the same time. Mm -hmm, right. Like, don't guilt yourself into gratefulness, right? Like it's okay to feel even if your situation is not maybe as bad as another person's, it's, a, it's still okay to be sad. It's healthy to be sad. I think you both have a, a Jewish sort of heritage background, but I believe there's mm -hmm. a psalm somewhere that says, a sad face is good for the heart. Hmm. I've never heard that. It's, it's a psalm, I think. So somewhere in the Old Testament, I can't remember where it is, but a sad face is good for the heart. Oh, or there's another one that says, it's better to be at a place of mourning than a place of feasting because you're in touch with mm -hmm. what's real. You know, mm -hmm. there's something about death and funerals that is, and, and grief in general, I don't want to take it to a really dark turn here, but, a, a, you know, a, a national pandemic in, in the same sense, uh, facing mortality is, is helpful, is clarifying. Again, it brings perspective in, in a good way and letting it have its weight, letting loss have its weight. I think lawyers struggle with, and my personality wise, I have struggled with um, to let things just kind of, we're taking blows. This was this was disappointing. This was frustrating. We don't make space for that as easily, uh, but it's powerful when we do because you sort of, you know, A, you're being honest and connecting with your real self. And then you, you kind of also find out you can survive it. It's kind of helpful too. Absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. And I think, Michael, you said the other day, pain is pain, right? Re regardless of what you're feeling that about, like pain is pain. That's right. 
and you used the word should before, mm-hmm. and that that that's a word that can get us into trouble about how what we should be feeling or not feeling. Mm. Yeah. And a famous therapist, Albert Ellis, said, a cognitive behavioral therapist said that we should stop shooting on ourselves. Uh, <laughs> so so that true. might be a good way for folks to remember to to avoid using that word as a as a way to guilt ourselves. Sagal, I need to remind you what you told me before we were starting this morning, what you recently did regarding setting boundaries. Do I need to give you any more hints about that? Um, you just did something social media-wise. Oh, yeah. That I to. <laughs> yeah, it's so funny because it's such a. it actually ended up being such a big deal for so many people around me. But um, I actually decided to delete my Facebook okay. during a time where I think people are trying to stay more connected on social media and things like that. I actually went the opposite direction. But it really wasn't for anything more than just realizing that it didn't serve me and my my wellness anymore. It was very much a distraction. Uh, it was a habit, actually. I just like was checking it all the time. And it wasn't giving me any of the connection or feelings of connection that I think a lot of us like want from social media. And so I, I deleted it and I feel great about it. And mm-hmm. it's something that I is not like, it wasn't a rash decision. It's something I've actually been thinking about for a few years now. But this kind of boundary setting kind of uh, sense of clarity that I've gotten recently. Uh, this was part of that. I just I didn't want to spend time on something that wasn't serving me. And so I got rid of it. It didn't it didn't fall within the lines of the four categories that I had set out for myself as my priorities. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And, and it's funny, because I like posted, I was like, Hey, everyone, I'm deleting my Facebook and just want you to know. So you don't think I just like deleted you as a friend. Yeah. And the amount of people that reached out to me and were like, are you okay? Is everything okay? And no, it's fine. You know, I mean, the fact that people even think that there's something wrong when you do that is like kind of telling in its own way. I did get a few people that reached out to me asking for my personal information, which was really nice. But you know, my email's out there, my LinkedIn still, I'm going to, my professional presence is still there if people want to connect. I feel really good about it. I feel really good about it because I never really posted much anyway, unless it was something I was writing. And now I have one less thing that I can be distracted by. Well, and you're missing out on all the armchair epidemiologists and armchair (laughs) government process runners who like to fight with each other. I mean, how can you do that? (laughs) I know. I know. You brought up a good point, though, is when when you set boundaries and you change the way you're, you're doing things... Sometimes you can get pushback from folks in your circle mm-hmm. because it's different. So that, that's kind of something normal that can happen and, and for folks to be ready for if they start to set boundaries they haven't set before. And I hear one or two of your little ones in the background. Sigal. Yeah, yeah, those are, that's my <laughs> daughter. She's, uh, she's one and she's having a great time right now, screaming and running around. Yeah, that's, uh, that's the other part of this new normal is not only do we invite ourselves into each other's homes, but our homes now start to become part of everyone else's home. So it's, it's nice, actually. I love that. I love when we're doing, I'm doing webinars and webcasts and you happen to hear kids in the background or even see one enter the picture or see a cat walk on someone's laptop. We had a cat. Yeah. We had a cat in our <laughs> Just Mercy program earlier uh, or last week. Yeah. I think that's one of those things that's going to be a lasting change out of all of this. The standard for how you show up, even I'm hearing people talking about some of the CLEs that we're doing online. One person asked Michael actually uh, yesterday for the Spring Posium conference we're doing next week. This lawyer said, do I have to wear a coat and tie? And mm-hmm. the other lawyers on the call who are also going to be presenting that we're working with said, we're not. No. 
And, and I was able to tell him, well, we had a federal judge on yesterday and he did. He felt like he should wear one. But everybody else is, but but he showed up. The federal judge showed up for his practice call, his lab call, wearing a t-shirt. I mean, and not even a nice one, you know, like a raggedy old t-shirt. <laughs> and then on the real call, you know, folks have had, you know, like uh, golf shirts, maybe, or, you know, a few people still are going to wear your ties and stuff, but that that's minimal. Uh, but m- people are getting more and more comfortable with, hey, look, I am navigating home and family. It's like we got forced to say, no, I actually do have this personal life. For people yeah. who weren't comfortable doing that to start with, you just, you have no choice. You have to kind of say it. And families are having to negotiate that. You know, who gets the concentration time? Like, I love what you talked about with your husband. One of us gets to work and concentrate and then we switch. And and you have to have a plan because if you don't, you got chaos. Exactly. It's so true. And And as leaders in this pandemic, it's super, super important to, as best as you can, not have the people that you're leading negotiating that type of stuff, but instead uh, be the leader that encourages and invites it. And so to me, it, it's really telling when we have uh, these meetings at, at, at Lawline and there's a kid that's in the background and we're like all waving, right? At the kid, right? That's, <laughs> that's different. You know, that's different than, you know, the backhand chat that's like, oh, your kid's in the background, maybe put a virtual background bat, right? Like, that's mm-hmm. like, there's differences. Like when everybody's waving at your child, that person feels supported. That person feels like they didn't have to negotiate or choose, right? That they feel like they're being embraced for everything that's going on in their pandemic. And you're putting one less weight on their head and on their mind. Oh man, how do I look in this situation based on like the fact that I'm in a meeting? And that to me, as a leader, it's super important. Invite it, encourage it, embrace it. Don't let people negotiate it. Seagal, we're, we're just about at the, uh, sadly for mm-hmm. me and probably Chris too, uh, hopefully for you as well, Seagal, we're, we're at the end of the discussion, but, but I wanted to give you an opportunity to share anything else that you haven't gotten a chance to share related to anything we've talked about or, or something else. But is there anything else you wanted to say before we wrap this conversation up? I just want, first and foremost, want to thank you for the opportunity to be on here. I love talking to you guys. I think you guys do great work and I really appreciate being thought of. Also, I mean, just as like the theme for me, it's always been where you work is just as important as the work you do. And I would just say to people, just like, if as best as you can, I know it's, it's, a, it's a weird time, but identify what you want your life, your profession, your day-to-day to be and be brave enough to find it and to, and to fight for it. And I know that this is called the thriving lawyer. Thriving means not just surviving. It's not just getting through it. It means growing and flourishing. And so just kind of being self-aware and self-reflective about that and making sure that we're not always constantly living in a, in a time of survival, but there is at least pieces of your day in which you can find some, some growth. So I hope that that helps. It's super helpful. I love that concept you just uh, said, and you said it early in the podcast as well, where you work. Uh, what I would say is, you know, the people that you work with, the environment mm-hmm. you work with, I've, I've, I actually escalated above really what you're doing mm-hmm. um, for me. I found that I could do different kinds of law practice or different kinds of things before that I never would have thought of them, but because of the people that I'm around, you know, makes a huge difference. And, and I can adjust to different kinds of, you know, tasks the best work in the world done with, with you know, a not supportive environment and not enjoyable environment, it, it just, it, it loses all the luster, really. Agreed. Yeah. Agreed. Absolutely. Well, thank you so much, uh, Seagal and, and Chris. Good to hear your voice again. 
Man, glad to be involved. And, um, this has been great. And uh, I also want to thank Allie Edwards, our producer, for getting these pro- podcasts going and editing them so we all sound even more wonderful than we sound, <laughs> than we truly sound in real life. And uh, so that'll be a wrap for, for this episode. Thanks again, Seagal. And we will be talking offline again soon. Absolutely. Bye-bye, thank everyone. Thanks for listening to this episode of the Thriving Lawyers Podcast. We love hearing from our loyal listeners, so please feel free to email us any questions, comments, suggested topics, or guest recommendations at the following address, feedback at thrivinglawyerspodcast.com. The Thriving Lawyers Podcast is brought to you by Real-Time Creative Learning Experiences, a national provider of continuing legal education and professional development programs that leave participants engaged, encouraged, and equipped to pursue meaningful and sustainable change in their practices, their lives, and the organizations they work in. And by Osborne Conflict Resolution, your experienced guides through the uncharted terrain of business and family law disputes based out of Charlotte, North Carolina. Thanks for listening, and we'll see you next time on the Thriving Lawyers Podcast.